Well, as you might imagine, when I begin thinking about what I might say on any given Sunday, I take several things into account. I'm I'm alert to the time of year, what's going on in the life of the church, conversations I've been having with colleagues, and of course, the assigned readings for the day. I'm also aware of what's in the news, what's likely on people's minds, and what's been going on in my own own life that has been stirring me up. It seems important that what we do in here links up with what goes on outside these walls. In this way, there's a bit of a dance in calling this space a sanctuary, that is, a place set apart for reflection and contemplation that's markedly different from all the other spaces we occupy in the course of a week and the reality of our day-to-day lives when we walk back out. We might think we're safe in here for an hour or two, but life as we know it is awaiting us out there, whether it's a splendor or a purgatory. A critique that is often leveled at the church concerns its relevance, as in, well, when all is said and done, does it matter? And at the most basic level, I suppose it matters if someone, that somehow it does link up with the actual content of people's lives. The fact is, we do call this a sanctuary, and we have a mighty splendid one at that. But we've brought the world in with us, of course. We didn't check the world at the door. All of the life baggage we haul around came right with us as we sat down. I tell you, it's right there in a great big heap at your feet. Or it might still be on your shoulders. Some people come hoping for a distraction from the everyday. That's not bad. We all need a break every now and then, a chance to, in the old language, lay our burdens down. That's the comforting part of our business here, remembering we are loved and held by the one who flung the stars into space and inflated our lungs with our first breath. I think that's a relevant and important truth for all of us to hear repeatedly since we're so prone to forgetting it if we ever believed it in the first place. But relevance has other meanings as well, like how our our practice here as followers after the way of Jesus makes a difference out there in the world. Non-church-affiliated people are always at the ready to say that Christians don't practice what they preach. They don't seem to reflect the life Jesus espouses. And of course, a lot of the time, I'd agree with them, depending upon where the critique has been aimed. But now, (laughs) here's the thing. All of that aside, All of that intro stuff aside, as I was thinking about this Sunday, 
I couldn't shake the baggage of the Harry Weinstein story, Harvey Weinstein story. Every time I thought about today, that story popped into mind. I could not shake it. And when I can't shake a nagging thought, I generally conclude there's something I should pay attention to. So I just let it alone, and it has followed me into this space this morning as a bit of cultural baggage I couldn't leave with the ushers at the door. What I don't want to do is to hammer this man with a judgmental bludgeon. I'll leave that to everyone else. Of course, we all know there's a whole lot of hypocrisy in the bludgeoning, but I don't want to address that either. I note that Weinstein has been voted out of the Academy of Motion Pictures, many of whose members hardly exemplify moral rectitude. Also, I'm not interested in the salacious content of the accusations, although they are astonishing. Sex is not the story here. Abuse, coercion, and sexism are. Harassment is the least of it. As if we didn't know this already, a shocking revelation has exposed a sick, systemic structure of gross power dynamics between men and women that's laced throughout our culture. But now having named this, I want to focus attention on a simpler idea. Simple, but really important. Fundamental. And I think this is why my semi-conscious mind was intimating this story was relevant for today when I stumbled on this quote attributed to Robert Louis Stevenson. Everyone, sooner or later, sits down to a banquet of consequences. Everyone, sooner or later, sits down to a banquet of consequences. That works pretty well in relation to our gospel lesson where Jesus tells a rather horrific story about a wedding feast when everyone gets their due. They all get a banquet of consequences from their choices and behaviors as the parable is told. And in primetime 21st century, Harvey Weinstein reaps a banquet of consequences. I'm thinking there are other prime targets in our culture and political realm for whom this will prove true in the near future. But then it likely proves true for all of us eventually, and it points to the matter of fundamental allegiances. As in, who or what do we worship really? Because what we worship determines the cuisine served up at our own banquet of consequences. And the fact is, whether we want to admit this or not, all of us, every last one of us, all of us are complicit with the powers and principalities of our time. We cannot escape this. We're complicit with our silence. 
We're complicit with a lack of engagement. We're complicit with distracted attention. We are complicit when we advert our gaze, when some awful thing stares us right in the face. I don't want to look at that. I agree with David Foster Wallace, who I've quoted on the bulletin this morning. He wrote that, by the way. It's actually extracted from a commencement address that he gave, oh, maybe a decade ago. I want to give you the context, the whole paragraph. Here's what he said. Here's something that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths and proverbs and cliches and epigrams and parables. The skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. The whole trick is to keep this truth up front in daily consciousness. And man, is that ever a hard thing to do, evidently. We heard an ancient archetypal example in our first reading this morning. As the story is told, Moses has been communing with God on Mount Sinai, receiving the stone tablets inscribed with the commandments. He's been gone longer than anticipated, so the people begin to grumble among themselves that they need a new focus for their allegiance. Moses was returning to them with the ethics for righteous life, But in the meantime, they got antsy and created a puny god of gold of their own making, a god who was in fact much smaller even than themselves, not to mention very, very much smaller than the god of creation and the author of life. And their choice debased them. And we should read this as though they are every man, every woman. They are us. You heard Paul encourage his friends in this way. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, keep your focus on goodness. Not perfection, 
because none of us can achieve that, but on the truth, the commendable, the excellent. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Why is that so hard? Variations on the story of idolatry recur over and over in the scriptures. We might say it's one of the preeminent themes. It's a seminal theme. You shall have no other gods before me. The fundamental human problem. And the thing is, we might say we worship the God of creation and life in here whenever we show up, but out there beyond these walls is another matter altogether. Part of the reason we return here with some regularity is to help remind ourselves of our primary allegiance. The trick then is to carry it back out into the world with us. Well, how do we do that? That's why Paul said, focus on whatever is commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. Why is this such a hard discipline? Why do we why do we humans have such a hard time seeing what's been there all along? Why do we put up with lesser things? Bad things? Downright awful things? even joining ourselves to them. Why do we discount, discredit, and belittle the better things, the nobler things that upbuild human community? Why don't we throw ourselves into those good things? What holds us back? It's a great mystery. Why do we choose a golden calf of all things, of our own making? I think this question lays at the heart of the spiritual journey. It never goes away. keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. But now here's the thing. I've named the problem, but the solution is before us as well. It's not a mystery for those of us who've gathered here. It's found in God's grace and acknowledging that God is always present and powerful to us at every moment, in every circumstance of our life. We forget that, too. When we're up against the wall, where do we turn? Where does our help come from, says the psalmist? God's grace is always present, and we have the gift of one another 
everyone in this room is hearing this same message, is, has been responding to the same grace that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. We've all gathered here. You don't know everyone. But the good news is, is that this, this company of friends is also present and powerful in support of you in your individual journey and in your walk. We have God. We have each other. We are not alone. And you have the knowledge indeed that you are loved beyond your wildest imaginings. And if we were to let that sink all the way down into our cellular membranes, I tell you we would be more inclined to think about those things that are worthy of praise, that are excellent, and that are upbuilding of human community. Because that's the business we're in, friends, the upbuilding of human community. Tell me there is any greater agenda for a life than that. Is there a greater agenda? I can't name it. Just imagine, that's the agenda we've been assigned. That's what God thinks of us, that we are going to become God's partners in creating this new human community. Wow. Take that knowledge into the world and live it.